Well, good morning, Doxa. Let's get our Bibles out. My name is Ronnie, uh, one of the pastors here. What a joy to, to get to be a part of this church and get to see what we're seeing God do. And yeah, guys, as we open our Bibles every Sunday, we're just, we're just continuing to be a part of the story that God is writing where he's doing things like that. And so I'm excited to get into this with you. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31 this morning, if you want to turn there. And at the beginning, I just want to point out uh, something. So statistically speaking, here in Madison, the majority of people in the city are not um, gathering together, opening their Bibles, <laughs> okay? Most people in the city are not turning to 1 Corinthians 12 right now. You know, probably a lot of people are having a slow morning at the house. They're going on a long bike ride. They're, they're going to brunch. They're not going to church, right? Statistically speaking, what we're doing here this morning isn't really the mainstream. Okay? It's not all that popular. We live in an amazing city full of activities and, and spaces to belong, and the church doesn't rank super highly on the list of like the places that, that most people are going to this morning. And so my question is, why do you, why do you think that that is? Why do you think that is? The statistics would be, would be true. And you know, there's a lot of reasons why that might be, and some of them we actually have nothing to do about. If you actually read the story of the Bible from cover to cover, what you're actually going to see is that the people of God throughout history have almost always been kind of on the margins and in the minority, okay? And in God's providence, he's actually chosen for his people, the church, to be like this light that's shining in a dark world, just slowly growing throughout the ages, but again, kind of on the margins. But I bet if you were to just stop and ask one of your neighbors or one of your friends why they're not coming to church, they're not going to say, well, you know, in God's providence and in the grand plan, I just haven't been kind of called out yet, and Satan, he's blinded my eyes to seeing the glory of the church. That's not what they're likely going to say. What do you think they'd say? If you walk down your street or, or maybe down like the hallway in your apartment complex or, or your dorm, what kind of answers do you think that you'd get from your friends that live there? For me personally, as I've lived in Madison, had friends in Madison, and just paid attention to kind of the trends over the years of what people are saying on social media and in the news, I've actually seen kind of two really sad and concerning views that many people might say to, to answer this question. And the first one would be this. It'd be, you know what, the church, if you look at it in the world, it actually does more harm than good in the world. The church, it's this institution, this organization that has a lot of power, but historically it's abused its power. Okay, this view sees the church as corrupt. Church leaders can't be trusted. The church, it manipulates the vulnerable people for, for money. It covers up abuse to preserve power and influence. The church, this is the view, it's, it's powerful, but it is dangerous. Okay, and maybe some of your friends in Madison would say that. Maybe some of you here this morning would, would say that, have experienced that. And you know what? The Bible and a quick Google search would actually confirm that this is accurate. Okay, whether it's money or race or sexual abuse, there's been many churches that have actually been part of the problem and not a part of the solution. And to be fair, some of those churches and some of those Christian leaders, biblically, if we were to read the Bible, they wouldn't necessarily even qualify as a Christian, someone that believes the gospel, or as a church, but there have been plenty that do. That through foolishness and sin, they have corrupted the character and the witness of the church. And so that's one view, and it, it's valid. Okay, but now the other view, it's kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. This is kind of the second thing that some people might say, and it's, it's, they would say that it's not that the church is, is too powerful and dangerous, but that it is powerless and irrelevant. 
Okay, this view that maybe some of your friends have, it's, it's like this, when you ask them, or when they ask you what you're doing on the weekend, and you tell them, you know, I'm, I'm going to church, they kind of look at you and they don't quite know what to say. They smile and nod. They say, oh, well, that's, that's nice. That's, that's good for you. Anybody, anybody else ever get that? The church, this view, it's basically just this nice group of people trying to be nice and, and comfortable. And while this view of the church doesn't necessarily raise anybody's blood pressure, it does something equally dangerous. It doesn't affect them at all. Okay, it's just a nice hobby that a small minority of people do, but it doesn't make a difference in the community. It doesn't really matter if the church exists in a community at all. And honestly, there's a lot of truth to that view as well. I think that most of us in our individual Christian lives, this is kind of the ditch that we slide into, and the same can be true of, of local churches and communities and denominations. Okay, so these are the two views. The church is dangerous or the church is powerless, and, and so here is my question. If both of these views are true, then what are we doing here? Right? Like, why do we keep coming here week after week? Why are we spending so much time here? Why are we inviting more people into this? Why are we giving our money and our time and our talent and our treasures for this? And somebody in here is like, yeah, finally, we're asking the right questions. What are we doing here? I've been wondering that. And why today is the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 going to tell us not to give up on the church, but to actually give our lives for the church? Well, it's because neither of these two views are what the church actually is in its essence. What the church is supposed to be, what it, what it has to be, and by God's grace, what this church will be if we live into the vision of 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, so let's read this and see what Paul says the church can be. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so we've talked about this in Corinthians, but this is a very diverse group of people, different genders, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic statuses that Paul's writing this into, and he's saying, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, that I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, and you've got to really start to picture what Paul's talking about here, so don't just read the words, but actually imagine what he's trying to get you to think about. Maybe look at the person next to you and just imagine that they were literally just an eyeball sitting next to you on the chair. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Have any of you ever lost a toenail before? And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And then here's his key phrase, verse 27. Look right at it. 
It says, now, you, or y'all, okay, this is in the plural, y'all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret the, the, obvi- the, the question? There's a, no, they don't, but he's just listing them. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Okay, so if you remember back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul, he's, he's writing to a church that's really dysfunctional in a lot of ways. But at the beginning of chapter 1, he greets them saying this. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul, he has been sternly correcting this church, but he deeply loves this church. He knows the names of these Corinthian Christians. He's like, come on, everyone. God, God is, is faithful. His grace is enough to make you a beautiful church for his glory in this city. I am for you. God is for you. Let's go. So 1 Corinthians is. And how can Paul be so confident in a church like this one in Corinth? Well, he says, because God is faithful. Because God is, is gracious. He's confident in the Corinthian church because he's confident in the God who created and called them. In chapter 12, what we just read is, is really Paul, like, out of that confidence in the church, because of his confidence in God, he's, he's fleshing out his convictions about what the church actually is. Okay, and he's giving it to us in this metaphor. You heard it. Look back with me at, at verse 12. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. He's talking about a physical human body and making some sort of a comparison to Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 27. Now y'all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's the metaphor. The church is the body of Christ. This picture that has captivated Paul's imagination and he means for it to capture ours as well. So what I'm going to do at the beginning of this message is just kind of ponder that together. I want to look at three things that this means. What, what does it mean that the church is the body of Christ? Okay, number one. First thing it means is that the church is from God and not from man. It's very encouraging. The church is from God and not from man. In verse 18, and then again in verse 24, Paul, he says that, that God the Father has arranged and, and composed the members of the human body in a very intentional way, right? He's the author, he's the architect, he's the designer of the physical universe, of the human physical body, and then he says, and in the same way, that is true of the church. And if you look down at verse 27 and 28, he basically mentions these different types of leaders in the church, right? And he says, God has, has appointed these people and they're all meant to build on the foundation that God has already laid. And so it's like God is this master architect. He's got these architectural plans of what the church is to be. And these leaders are to work out that plan. And what that means is that any dysfunction that we see and we experience in the church is not because of a flaw in the design plans. It's because of an error of the workers not being faithful to that design. Okay, but the church is is not just God the Father's thing. If you look back at verse 11 from last week, it also says that the church is animated, or the word is empowered, by the Holy Spirit. And then today in verse 13, it says, For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We're all made to drink 
of one spirit. So the picture is just like a physical body needs to obviously drink water and have nourishment to live and to thrive. The body of Christ, it lives off like the sustaining power that comes from the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit pours life into us. Sometimes, practically, when I don't know what to pray, that's what I pray. I just say, Spirit, breathe life into me. Pour, pour your living water into me. So the church, it's clearly composed of people. Here we are. But this is not an idea that people came up with. None of us came up with this. It's not an organization that any human person can keep running by our own wisdom and strength. It is from God the Father. It is sustained by God the Holy Spirit. And more than that, this whole picture, the body of Christ, is a metaphor that means it exists for God, for Christ. Right? The Father designs, the Spirit empowers, and then this thing that is created is meant to be this, this living representation of Jesus Christ on earth. And that's number two. Okay, the second thing this means, the body of Christ means that the church should accurately demonstrate the character of Jesus Christ to the world. That's what the whole metaphor is about. Accurately demonstrate his, his character not even, I mean, listen, not even just be a picture of him, like a static image of this is what Jesus looks like, but a, a living, moving, breathing community of people that, that together and only together embody the character of Jesus to a watching world. Like people should, should be able to look in at the church, should meet the people of the church, spend time within the church and know something profound of what Jesus Christ is like. We talk a lot here at Docs about how our individual call as Christians is to become like Jesus, right? To be conformed into the image of Christ, but that's also our, our corporate call. And our problem is, the problem is that, that so many people, so many of us, so many people that are not in this room this morning have had experience with the bodies of Christ, the body of Christ that has either hurt them or bored them, right? The body of Christ to them has been violent or it has been lifeless, there's so many people out there who think that Jesus, he must be a domineering bully because that's been their experience with Christians or with, with leaders in the church. There are so many people out there that think that Jesus Christ must be a racist because that has been their experience with Christians and with the church. And can we all just agree together, like, shame on us for any way that we have given like the exact opposite picture of who Jesus Christ is to the world, together. But again, on the other side of the coin, some people think, a lot of our neighbors that we would talk to probably think that Jesus, he's, you know, he's this nice guy, he might have had some, some good teaching, you really wouldn't ever want to hang out with him on, on the weekend. They must think he's pretty boring because of the lack of passion and the lack of vision and the lack of conviction that sometimes we carry as Christians. And again, can we just agree, shame on us. Like shame on us for portraying the creator and sustainer of all things as someone that you wouldn't want to spend any time with as, as boring. There's a church in, in Nashville, Tennessee called Emmanuel, and they kind of picked up on this, this type of vibe in their city in Nashville, and so they kind of revamped their mission statement, and this is what they came up with. This is their mission. I, I love this. To make the real Jesus non-ignorable in our city. I love that. 
the real Jesus, non-ignorable in our city. That, that's what this metaphor, the body of Christ, that's what it, what it calls us to, this dynamic representation of the real Jesus in a way that he cannot be ignored. And that doesn't mean he won't be opposed. That doesn't mean that everyone will accept him, everyone will want to come, because that wasn't true of Jesus, was it? But what was true of Jesus is that he could not be ignored and he could not be accused of any sin. He was controversial because of his conviction and his vision, and he was compelling for his holiness and his beauty. The perfect blend of conviction and compassion. And we as his body are meant to to accurately represent him in our generation, in our city, in your relationships. And I think right now one of the ways that we are uniquely poised to do this is by displaying an unexplainable unity in a divided world. Okay, so this is number three. The body of Christ means that diversity should actually, think about this, enhance the church's beauty, not diminish it. Okay, it's no secret that our world is, is divided. It always has been. It likely always will be in a lot of ways. And so often these divisions, they become because of our, our differences, right? We naturally want to divide away from people that don't look like us, think like us, act like us, vote like us, whatever. But we've been reading about this in 1 Corinthians, right? God's wisdom, what he's actually done is he's, as he's designed the church, he's designed it to be a community where our differences actually make the community better, not worse, like, think about that. Can you, can you imagine? It's almost hard to imagine what a community like that would look like. Like, how in the world today can you get a group of very different people together and then say, this is a recipe for, for harmony, right? We don't see it happening a lot in society. No one seems to know how this could happen. But you know what Paul says? He says, look at your hand. So really, let's look at our hands for a second here. He says, look, look at your hand. See how different your fingers are from your thumb? different in shape, different in in functions. Look at your fingernail. Look at how different that is from your skin. Now your hand, now put it on your your face. Touch it to your nose. I just kind of wanted to see what this would look like. Yeah. See, see, your hand, it's it's different from from your nose. And have you ever thought, what's the difference between nose hair and your back hair? And is there, David Weil, even a purpose for back hair? I don't know. Talk about that in Connection Group. Is there a purpose in God's design for back hair? But we get his point, right? He says that the human body is what it is. Listen, is what it is because of its diversity. Like, it is what it is because of its diversity. Many members working together in harmony make up a human being. Each part of the body does something unique, but it needs the other parts because no one part can do everything. Some of the roles in the body, you could argue, actually, and this is important, have some sort of a leadership or an authority over the others. Like, right, obviously our brain has some sort of like a functional authority over other parts of the body where other parts of the body wouldn't work without the brain. But does anybody in here wish that they were just a brain sitting there in a chair? Can you imagine how creepy that would be if that's what we were? Or some of us were, just literally just a brain, just lumped sitting there on a chair. That's, that's what Paul is saying. The brain is incredibly important. It even has some authority, but it is, everything else is so essential and, and like the, the body of Christ wouldn't be what it is if there were just some parts of it. And so Paul's argument in verse 14 through 26 is that. He says each, each part of the body is essential and indispensable and has a role to play and the reason it works is because they're all so very different. And he's saying the same is true in the body of Christ. 
Okay, that's true for the, go- the global body of Christ across all cultures, throughout all of, of history. We've needed these, these differences to express, express the full character of Jesus. The same is true for local churches today. We need the fullness of both genders and all their beautiful distinctiveness to play out in our community here, the fullness of all the different ethnicities in our city as they come into this church family to be expressed, listen, in order to accurately reflect the character and the beauty of Jesus. Paul even says here, like the the example he actually gives is that every level of socioeconomic status needs to be full participants in the life of the church. And throughout the history of the church, there's been this peculiar thing where like the, the poor members of the congregation have oftentimes been the spiritual leaders over the rich people, which it just doesn't work like that out there in society. There's a, a writer and marketing expert named Seth Godin. He's not a Christian, but he's just a guy that kind of thinks a lot about the world. He's looking out of the world saying like, there is problems in this world that no one seems to be able to solve. And so as he's talking about the world's problems, this is what he says. He says, if an obvious solution from an obvious source could have provided an answer, it would have happened already. Instead, it's, it's the unlikely approaches, the odd combinations that come from diversity that often win the day. Diversity, it might involve ethnicity or physical abilities, but it's just as likely to involve the idiosyncratic approaches and differences that we all experience. And then I love this last line. It says, hey, you know what? If, if enough peculiar people would just get together, something new might happen. And I think that if Seth Godin would have been chatting with Paul about this idea, Paul would have been like, yes! what I've been trying to, to tell them. That's, what I've been, that's like the point I've been trying to make. Come to Corinth and like do a seminar for me. Help them to see this because they're not listening to me. This is what 1 Corinthians has been saying. The wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. Like the church is that diverse group, that peculiar people who can make something new happen in the world and show that way forward. We are the unlikely people that Seth Godin is kind of reaching out and, and talking about. And this has just been a few minutes, right? Scratching the surface of just kind of thinking together of of what does it mean for the church to be the body of Christ? But if we all come back down to to planet Earth for a minute, just here in in reality, in honesty, we have to say that we fall so short of this ideal. The church, it does seem to be marked by division and dysfunction and apathy more than it is marked by this vision. And that was true of Corinth. That's why Paul was writing to them. But he's still writing to them. Did you catch that? Corinth was dysfunctional. That's why he's writing to them. But get this, he's he's still writing to them. Paul is not without hope. Paul is still pastoring. He's still preaching. He's still laboring for this church to live up to be all that it can be because he believes in the promises of God. Paul, he believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul, he believes that Jesus Christ wants to say something to this world through the sinners that he has saved. He believes that what he is writing in 1 Corinthians is possible. And he means to convince us of that as well. So listen listen to him again from the beginning. Listen to his, his conviction. Verse 12 it says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So it is. He's just like, as far as God is concerned, this is what the church is. 
This is it. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. In this language of baptized, baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, it is meant to be intense. Okay, baptism is not a bath. If you like baths out there, I just want you to know that a bath, generally speaking, is a picture of apathy. And relaxation at best, apathy at worst. And go take your baths. But what I'm trying to say is baptism is not a bath. Baptism is a picture of the most radical thing you could ever do in your life. Repent of your sins and follow the crucified Savior. It is not cute to be baptized. It is controversial. So seriously, like, put it on your Instagram, but just know what it is that you're saying. To go onto the water is to say, I'm done with sin. I'm done with the ways of this world. I'm done. I, I'm done serving idols. I've had enough. I'm done. Jesus, forgive me and set me free. That's what you're saying when you go onto the water. And when you rise up out of the water, you're saying, I am done. No turning back. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. I'm now on a path towards resurrection. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. The language of baptism is not casual. It is radical. Radical in a way that radiates a a dangerous hope that the powers of darkness in this world are terrified of. And the glory of it, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, hey, anybody can be baptized into the body of Christ. It is a radical thing, but it is a thing that is available for anyone. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek, slave or free. In Galatians, he says male or female, because it's not about who you are or what you do. It's about who God is, and it's about what God has done in Christ. And I said it already, but I'll say it again. The powers of darkness are, are horrified at what Jesus Christ did on his cross. Because what he was doing is he was making it possible for all sinners, all sinners to be forgiven if they want to be, if they want to repent. And so so listen closely, listen up, because this is something that Satan, he does not want you to hear this morning. Your sin is not something that keeps you out of the family of God. It is your ticket in. What I mean by that is that Jesus Christ, he has extended his hand to you and he said, give me your sin. I'll take care of that. I will will remember it no more. You belong to me now. This is the transaction that happens when you meet Jesus Christ. He takes your sin, he gives you his hand. And anyone who wants to belong to Jesus, anybody who, who wants that, anybody who sees the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and wants to be united to him, His life and death and resurrection can be yours. This is the offer of the gospel. In the gospel, it's not just something we encounter once powerfully, but Paul says we need to to drink of this one spirit. Just like you drink water every day, just like you're sustained by water every day to live, you need to drink deeply of the life-giving spirit of God every day to live. In the church, the church, what Paul's talking about, the church needs to drink deeply from the power and the life from the Spirit of God if we are to be empowered and animated to be the body of Christ. And so what Paul's picturing, who he's writing to, what he's just trying to to give them language and vision for is that the church, it's not a nice hobby to try out on the weekends. Okay, joining the church, it is the most radical and consequential thing you could ever do with your earthly life. 
to become a part of the body of Christ. What's true of him becomes true of you. What's true of him becomes true of us. And through us, what the world is supposed to be able to see and experience is the truth about God. The church, it's meant to be a consequence in our world, not in a harmful way, but in a way that is filled with hope. But sadly, so often, I lose sight, we lose sight. Culturally, we lose sight of of what the church is, what our role is in it, and and everyone loses in that equation. And so what I want to do is just kind of tie all this together, look back at the text, and point out just three short closing applications, all angled towards like, okay, this is possible. How can we take steps? What, What would it look like for us, Doxa, 2021, to live more fully together as the body of Christ. And so here's the first thing. The first thing we need to do is we need to to value our individual roles and the roles of others in the body of Christ. Your individual role and the role of your neighbor. Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so that whole section, if you see from 14 to 20, he's speaking to some people in the church that they're really struggling to feel like they belong. Struggling to feel like they have a role. They don't think they have an important role to play in the life of the church. And he says, no, no, no. Listen, in the same way that God has arranged all of the diversity of the human body on purpose, he has arranged all the diversity of the church body on purpose. And so for you, if you are a Christian in this room this morning, if Jesus Christ has saved you, you belong. Period. And if you're not a Christian, we already talked about this, but the only thing standing in the way of you becoming a Christian is you saying, I want Jesus to pay for my sins. You could be baptized in his body today. You have a role to play here. And Paul, he's, he's trying to urge them forward Move forward in confidence to discover what that role is in, in the community. But one of the reasons this is hard is what he says in, in verse 21 through 26. He points out to the all-too-common problems in the church of comparison and competition. Right? People looking down on one another, looking down at people that, that in their estimation have like a less valuable role, a less valuable gift. And Paul, he basically just shuts it down. Right? And he says, nope, you have no idea what you're talking about. Let me educate you on a theology of what the church actually is because the way you're acting doesn't make any sense. You didn't design the church. You don't get to uh, assign value to people. God has actually composed the church, as what he says, composed the church in such a way that sometimes the, the people who have the greatest honor and significance might not even be the people that you expect or can see. And really practically, there are, there are people in this church that you never really see on the stage publicly and visibly, but their prayers are powering this church. Their prayers are powering this church. And I just want to say to you, if you're one of those people that are faithfully praying in the quiet and in the the hidden place of your home, if you're walking the streets of Madison and and praying, if you're part of one of these prayer groups that no one else knows about, your labor, your contribution, sometimes only known to God, is something that is helping you to learn that his attention only matters and it is powering all of the fruit that we're seeing. Okay, the second application that Paul gives us is he basically says, he says, you know, you should be so close. Doc, so we should be so close to each other that what happens to one of us happens to all of us. Verse 25. 
He says there should be no division in the body. Okay, he doesn't say there should be no differences in the body. He says there should be no division despite those, those differences. You should be so connected, united. No division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is beautiful. <laughs> who wouldn't want this? Christian or not, who wouldn't want to be a part of a community that is like this? And what Paul is saying is that the members of the local church, they should be they so, so united that they can actually feel the joys and sorrows of one another in the same way that when like, your head has a headache, the rest of your body aches. That's what it should feel like. We should be so, so close. And so just a real practical question for you. Have you gotten close enough, connected enough, invested enough, vulnerable enough with the other people in this church for you to experience what he's talking about in verse 25 and 26? It's on the table for you. The application point is just get closer. It's on the table for you. And the churches that Paul was writing to were actually much smaller, likely, than, than this room. And so actually a good place for all of us to start with trying to live out 25 and 26 would just be in this smaller group of people that at Doxa we call a connection group. Okay, here's the last application. I'm just going to touch on this and we'll be done. It's, it's this. Our gifts and our roles are for his glory and not for ours. Okay, that's what he's getting into in verse 27 there at the bottom. He's, he's going to keep talking about this in the next couple weeks, but it's important. Here's the, here's the point. It's important for you as an individual to discover and to explore your spiritual gifts and your role in the church. But just remember that the whole point is to build up the body of Christ. Right, that's the whole point. Verse 28, he says that God, he's, he has appointed, he's, he's done this on purpose. He's picked apostles and prophets and teachers throughout the history of the church, and he still calls out leaders today. And God, he does do miracles, and he does heal people, and all these other supernatural works today. But the point of your Christian life is not to find personal fulfillment in your gifts or in your roles and become like this really celebrated person in the church because of it. Because any competition among Christians for glory or for status is actually a competition against Jesus Christ. You ever think about it like that? Anytime we compete with each other, we're actually not even competing with each other. We're all just competing with Jesus. I have to remind myself of that all the time. Whenever I feel that, that pull in my heart towards attention, towards approval, towards applause, even for spiritual things, even for spiritual leadership, I have to remind myself, guys, of the name of our church, <laughs> glory, doxa. It's his glory and not ours. The church, it exists to display his glory, not mine. This is what it means for the church to be the body of Christ. I'm individually a member of it, but I am not the point. None of us are the point. We exist to be his, his body. And so Paul, in verse 31, he he ends and he's kind of pointing ahead to next week and he just says, so, so earnestly desire the higher spiritual gifts. But if we kind of frame it up in the context of everything else he's been saying, he's really saying desire the spiritual gifts so you can better show off the glory of Christ to your city, to your generation. And when the people of God, when we as Doxa Church, when we become captivated by this type of vision of the church, this, this real vision of the church, we will become unignorable in our community. We will become compelling. And all of us, in our own individual ways and with our gifts and with our roles and our capacities, we should be 
giving our lives to this vision so that it becomes a reality in all of the churches that we're ever a part of because it's possible. It's happened before in history. It could happen here. So let's pray that it will. Father, we belong to you. Father, for as, for as much, uh, as many gifts as you've given Doxa Church and as many just generous people and courageous people and, yeah, just, just great gifts to the church, we, we point them all back to you. We desperately want to be a, a beautiful church in this city for your glory. We want the, the beauty that comes out of our community and, and all the Christian communities here in Madison to far outweigh, far surpass how, how physically beautiful this city is. Would we be like a light on a hill, a light shining in the darkness? Would we be the salt of the earth in this city? God, make us a, a beautiful church for your glory. God, help us. Help us to, to repent where needed. Help us to lift up our eyes where needed. God, help us to run away from apathy and towards a strong and courageous living out of this vision in community. Thank you for calling us, Jesus, to be your body. It's in your name and for your glory we pray.